I'd like to introduce to you Ryan, who is our guest speaker today. Uh, he does a lot of speaking in a lot of different environments, and we hope that you enjoy today's service. And I just want to pray for him as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege we have to hear from you and your word. Pray that you would give Ryan your very words to say, that you would guide his tongue, and that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you think that you're better than God? Do you believe or hold a mindset that you're greater than, superior to, or more capable than the God of the Bible who we believe created the entire universe? I'm assuming most of you didn't jump up and with an enthusiastic like, yeah, that's me, I think I'm better. Especially if you're around other people right now, that would be maybe a little bit awkward. Most of us probably wouldn't answer that question with a yes. However, I have this stark memory of this vivid realization that I had just a few short years ago that I held mindsets and beliefs and practices in my life that suggested that I believed that I was greater than God. I remember being confronted with this reality that I believed that I was superior to God. Maybe at this point you wanna stop watching this video because you're like, who is this guy? But what I'd love to do is invite you into a little bit of my story um, and the conviction and challenge that came along with that and perhaps share that with you this morning. My name's Ryan, like Rod said earlier, and I'm so honored to be a part of your gatherings here this week at Central Heights. I've gone to connect with Dave a bit, hung out with Nathan Archer a couple weeks ago, know Rod a little bit, and I'm just so excited about what God is doing in and through this community and the cool things I've been hearing, and really pumped to get to be a part of this with you guys this morning. When Dave invited me to speak, he invited me to continue on in your Exodus series, particularly in Exodus 31, verses 12 to 18. And the topic there is Sabbath rest. And I just want to say off the top, this is an area of my life that I'm not like this glowing example. And I'm struggling through this and trying to figure this out. And, and that's kind of my posture this morning would be like to, to invite you and say, I'm not a professional, but as I continue to struggle and walk through this, I would love to invite you into that with me as well. I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap for where I'd like to head with us um, as we go through this text. Um, what I'm not going to do is go through all like the details of Sabbath and create some like rigid framework that's like here, now here's how you go engage with Sabbath rest. Here's your practice for the next like month, year, whatever. Um, but what I really love to do is kind of dig into the heart of Sabbath and suggest three things that I think Sabbath rest really cultivates and brings to life in our hearts and in the church. And I want to do things a little bit differently than I usually do, which as a guest speaker is a little bit ir irrelevant to say because you guys don't really know what I usually do. And when you're trying something new, usually there's the risk that it bombs. But as a guest speaker, again, it's like I'm not scheduled to be back here next week, so can't really get fired. But what I usually do is when I approach a text that with a with a community is I like to dig in and really go slowly and zoom way in on the text. However, what I'd like to do this morning is right at the front end, go through the text kind of quickly, making a few observations and then actually zoom way out into this topic of Sabbath. So Exodus 31, starting in verse 12, if you've got a device or they have uh, the Bible app in kind of a print version now, feel free to follow along or it'll be on the screen. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So. It's pretty clear what's going on here. God is saying to Moses, make sure the people continue to observe and honor Sabbath. 
And he says, this is going to be a sign between you and me for generations to come. We're going to reflect on that idea later. But remember, this is a sign between you and me. And I want to highlight one more thing really quickly. I know we're moving fast. But he wraps this up by saying, I am the Lord who makes you holy. This is kind of significant because at Exodus 31, what we've just read for the past like five or six chapters is actually like this long instruction list on how the tabernacle, tabernacle will be built. And if I'm honest, it's a bit of a tough try read. Um, it's not like the most exciting part of your Bible in a year reading plan, but you hear all these instructions. And then it wraps up at the start of chapter 31, and God actually talked about these like specialists with certain like trade skills and all that that are gonna help build the tabernacle. It's this really significant thing that they're going to be doing. At the end of this big description of like a lot of work that's gonna be done, God says, remember, I'm the one that makes you holy. And I think that's significant because what the Israelites are doing here, think about building the tabernacle, is a really important, huge part of biblical history, the history of the Christian community, and it's this really like amazing thing that they're gonna to get to do. And it's easy for us when we're accomplishing bad things and doing a lot of work and doing God-given work to think, oh, this is what makes me great. And God says, that won't make you great. I'm the one that makes you holy. Anyways, continue on. Continuing on, verse 14. God says, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. It's like, okay, hold up, God. We were with you on this whole like Sabbath rest thing. That all sounded really good. You're inviting us to take rest. And, and now you've all of a sudden like inflicted the death penalty on this thing. If you haven't, if you don't get this from this text, what we have to understand is the Sabbath thing is actually a pretty serious idea to God. And I, I want to make a quick comment on this death penalty thing because I don't want to just skirt past that. This will be a short comment. I think many of us, myself included, when we read the Old Testament, we hear these ideas of like, if people don't do this, they're gonna be put to death. It, it's kind of like freaky and cringy, and we're like, oh man, like those are the parts of the Bible that, you know, if we have a friend that's exploring faith, we're like, oh, hopefully they don't read that part. And I wanna draw a distinction here because I think sometimes it's easy to get this lens of God as like this capricious God who likes to inflict judgment and penalty on people because they didn't do the thing he said. But I think what's really going on here is, is here's this God talking about the Sabbath. And again, he says this word holy, it's holy to you. And he's working through this community called Israel. It wasn't only Israelites in there, it was this community of faith that he was working through to be his ambassadors to the nations around them. In other words, to reflect his character to the world around them. It's like the church today, anyone's welcome in the church, but God works through his community to show the world what he is like. That's what the Old Testament law is, an expression of God's character. So God invites people to live out that law to express his character to the world around them. So when God talks about the death penalty here, he's taking this idea of rest very seriously, and he's not suggesting the death penalty out of punishment, but out of protection. He's protecting this community from the infiltration and the pollution of things that will decay and destroy the community that are headed the trajectory that God wants them to be. So he's saying Sabbath rest is important, and if people are coming in and, and destroying that and taking that away and infiltrating with that, then we need to remove them. We need to do whatever it takes to keep that up. God doesn't find joy in killing those people that he created. He loves people. He created them. This is a painful thing for him. But it seems important enough to him that this is such an important command that this has to be maintained in that community. Continues on, for six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, 
holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. All right, God, we get it, okay? You already mentioned the death thing. It's like, could you chill out a little bit? At that point, it's like, oh, are there any new people in church? You know, like, we get it. This is a really important thing. You also, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is the third time the word holy comes up in this passage. This is an important theme to God. This is really the call of Old Testament law, is God saying, he says other places, be holy like I am holy, be perfect, be righteous, be invited into my righteousness, live as I am, be like I am, and show the world who I am. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. So again, keep the Sabbath. And, and we have a little bit of a different uh, statement here. Remember before it was, it's a sign to you for many generations. Now he's saying celebrate it for generations. This is a gift, celebrate it. And we're gonna reflect on both of those later, the sign and the celebration later. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. So again, there's that thing again. It's gonna be a sign between us forever. Sign for generations, celebrate it for generations, and a sign forever. We'll come back to all of those. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So God takes this idea of Sabbath and links it right back to the creation narrative that we can read about at the start of the Old Testament law. And we'll come back to that as well. You're like, at some point you're like, Ryan, you're just saying we're gonna come back to everything. Hopefully we'll, like hopefully you guys are keeping tally and making sure that we come back to all these things. Wraps it up this way. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. You might not know this, but Exodus 31 is actually part of a really famous biblical narrative that most people in the church are probably aware of. We know the story in Exodus 20 where Moses goes up on this mountain called Sinai, and he has this really amazing conversation with God. And God uh, shares with him what's called the Decalogue, or commonly referred to as the Ten Commandments. And this, Exodus 31, is actually like the end of that narrative. We often just have kind of the story of he goes up and he gets these rules. But these last like 11 chapters has been Moses up there meeting with God. And after God uh, shares these 10 sayings with Moses that we find in the Ten Commandments, he continues to talk about the law. He talks about the construction of the tabernacle and all that. And he wraps up the last word is this idea of keeping the Sabbath. And then Moses comes down. I shared a little bit of my story earlier about this realization that I was greater than God, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the context of where that happened right now. So um, I have a little bit of a different ministry trajectory than a lot of pastors do. Many pastors, they you know graduate, go to Bible college, maybe go to seminary, whereas, where that's where you get a master's degree in like theology or whatever, pastoring. And um, then they start working at a church. Uh, for me, I actually hadn't really done any of that. I had one year of Bible college after I graduated, but many years later, I got offered a job at a church. So I started working at this church, and I thought to myself, I'd love to like dig into some formal education around this thing and kind of continue to up my game, you know, studying the Bible a lot on my own, but love to formalize that a little bit. So I started attending this seminary, working on my master's degree. And since I was working full-time at a church, what I would do is attend these classes called Mod Week courses. And it's where they take all of the semester lecture and they cram it into a week. So like Monday through Friday, you're there all day, just on like one class getting all the lecture in. 
One of my favorite classes I took was this class called Pentateuch. Um, for those of you who don't know, Pentateuch is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, what's often called Torah or the law. And I recognize that these aren't like everyone's like most exciting books. I don't meet a lot of people in the church like Leviticus, that's my jam. You know, I read Leviticus and I started following Jesus. That's not usually how it goes, but really fascinating books. I love this class. And I just want to take a side note to say, I love that Central Heights is working through Exodus. One of those kind of like tougher reads, you know, anybody who starts a Bible in a year reading plan at the start of the year and gets into like the back half of Exodus, Leviticus, that those are kind of where Bible reading plans go to die, right? It's kind of like the fourth week in a gym, uh, in the fourth week of January in like a gym, you know, kind of, kind of empties out a little bit. But I, I was working through Genesis through Deuteronomy in this class, and one of the things that stood out to me the most, we got to Exodus, and there was this conversation around Sabbath rest that started popping up in Scripture. I was like, yeah, I'm familiar with that. But what stood out to me and was so crazy was how much it just kept popping up over and over and over again in the Pentateuch. And I mean more than most things. Like when you get to the Ten Commandments, you got like murder, stealing, adultery, idolatry, all these things, all these big things. And, and Sabbath, after that, shows up way more than murder, way more than stealing. It is like a way bigger topic. You can't read through the Pentateuch and miss the idea of, of Sabbath. It's like walking through Abbotsford and expecting not to bump into a Mennonite, right? Like, it's like, it's everywhere. It's on, like, so many pages. And I had this realization where I was like, man, like, I've kind of just, like, worked past this thing. And it's interesting because... You know, when Jesus came, we can see that we're not like bound to this like specific, like, you know, it was set up where the seventh day of the week, Saturday, they would break in a certain way. There are all these rules and all that. Well, since Jesus came, we're not really like bound to this specific rigid structure. But also sometimes I think we have this temptation to then just be like, well, we're not bound to it and we don't think about it at all. Or when we do think about it, sometimes we go overboard. And here's what I mean. Um, many of you, to, to, nowadays, Sabbath is actually a pretty popular topic in the church. Many of you have probably read the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it's like, Sabbath is actually really cool right now. If there were hashtags in the church, hashtag Sabbath would be like one of the most trending ones. It's like a cool topic nowadays. And in fact, um, I'm part of this uh, pastoral cohort where we got to go spend a bit of time with John Mark Comer. And that's not a name drop. He has no idea who I am. I was just in the room, but we were with him. He's talking about some different spiritual disciplines. And one of the people with us asked, he said, you know, John Mark, nowadays with millennials and Gen Zs, there's so much talk about Sabbath that sometimes I wonder if it's become like everything is Sabbath. And it's just like, let's take a break all the time. And, you know, boundaries and bandwidth has become like, it, it, we've almost gone overboard. And this is what John Mark Comer said. He said, well, I often remember, rem would remind a millennial that the Bible says, for six days you will work and then take a Sabbath. Um, you know, as a millennial, I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, I just wanted to, like, do the Sabbath all week long. It sounds really great. This is a popular topic, but it's a hard one to handle because, again, we're not rigidly held to some structure, but we also might, like, go overboard or struggle to know how to do it. And again, that's why I just wanted this morning lean into some concepts around the heart and the foundation of what Sabbath is as we zoom out just a little bit. So Moses has just come down the mountain from receiving what we often call the Ten Commandments. And I'd actually love to look at the two um, accounts of these Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. One shows up in Exodus 20 and one shows up in Deuteronomy 5. And what I'd like to do is compare them a little bit and glean three ideas around what Sabbath rest actually produces in us and in the church. By the way, when you read the Ten Commandments, the, 
in both accounts, the longest one talked about is Sabbath. So I'm going to read the, the first part of ec- the one from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 back to back. And the starting of both of them is essentially the same. Um, this is what Exodus 20, starting in verse 8 says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So that's the start of uh, that commandment in Exodus 20. And in Deuteronomy 5, it's very similar. God says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Notice that both of them have this emphasis again on holiness. You're supposed to be a holy people reflecting a holy God. Keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that you, um, so, so that your male and female servants may rest. If you're like me and you read that, you're like, okay, sweet. I have not uh, overworked my ox or my donkey in the, like, the last couple of years. And so it's like, good, I'm not breaking that. This list there is kind of crazy. It's like talking about servants and foreigners and all that. What God is saying is saying, live Sabbath in a way that protects and invites everybody around you. Anybody that's like under your authority, anybody around you, anybody who's in relationship with you should be invited into Sabbath rest by your practice of it. Again, there's nothing like special about Saturdays that make them specifically holy. Like when I was a kid, I maybe thought they were holy because Saturday morning cartoons came on. Um, But it's nothing special about that day. It's just a gift that God has given. And in both of these accounts of this um, teaching around Sabbath and the Ten Commandments, God just starts out by saying, be a holy people, observe, observe Sabbath, and try to share that with everyone around you. And here's the interesting part, is that the... Those two intros are very similar, but they both have a different end. Um, In Exodus 20, verse 11, it's similar to the Exodus 31 passage. God wraps up that teaching on Sabbath by saying, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he, he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's this moment of realization for me in seminary, where all of a sudden I realize, I'm functioning in a way that says that I think that I'm better than God. We're reading about Sabbath all through this. Like we're just crushing the Pentateuch. It's like a binge watch of the Pentateuch, right? Like if you've ever like binged like the office in a weekend or whatever, this is a binge watch of Genesis through Deuteronomy. Maybe it doesn't sound as exciting, but it was awesome. But Sabbath kept popping up, popping up. I went back to this and I read it and I read this long account and it was all about making sure Sabbath is happening in and through you and in your community and all that. And that wraps up with this thing that I've heard before. For in six days, God created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. I also had this realization where I was like, who am I that I think that the God who created the universe, who arguably is infinite and needs nothing, took a day to rest, but I, a mere mortal, Ryan, feel like I can outwork God I don't need to rest like God did. Oh, cool that God created the world and then like needed to rest. But no, I can just go hard. I can work all the time and I can be more productive than God. And I realize this real arrogance in my life that's like rejecting this pattern that God has created for us. And God instilled this pattern not because he needed to rest, 
but because he knew that we needed to rest. So this is the first thing I'll say Sabbath does. Sabbath honors God. Here at the beginning of all time, God creates the world. He takes a break. He rests. And he sets for us this opportunity to reflect his character and nature and pattern and to actually honor the fact that he's created us with, with limited bodies, limited capability, and honor him in saying, yes, we will rest these things and we will take care of these things so that we can be productive for you. Remember, in Exodus 31, God has just described a lot of work. Building a whole, ta- I've never built a tabernacle before, maybe some of you have, but it's like, It sounds like a lot of work, especially thousands of years ago with like, you know, you don't got like your DeWalt power tools or anything like that. It's a lot of work. And the most important thing is God is like, at the end of it, at the end of each week, you, those people in your house, those people in your family, your animals, they're even Sabbaths for the land. Just give it a break. Take a breath. Take a rest. Take a nap. Just don't overdo it. So Sabbath honors God. In the Deuteronomy 5 passage, it ends actually quite differently. So it's gone through, keep the Sabbath, it's holy, all that, make sure everyone's doing it. Um, And then this is how it wraps up in uh, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. Instead of going into the reflection of the creation narrative, God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Man, what we see in the middle of this, these are two sentences. The second one starts with the word, therefore. You were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, I like to say that you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? What ideas is it linking? God is linking the idea of being freed from slavery and exploitation to observing his Sabbath rest. And this was huge for me as well. Not only was I convicted by like my arrogance and humbled by this conviction and challenge that God was like, hey, why are you going harder than me and thinking you're better than me? But I was also convicted and challenged by this because what God is essentially saying to the nation of Israel, he's saying, I freed you from bondage and exploitation. Why then would you subject yourself by your own power to exploitation and bondage? Why would you drive yourself into the ground when I have set you free? I would say it's because of a lack of trust. And many of us, many of us struggle with that, I think. And this is the second thing I would say is that Sabbath rest trusts God. It shows our trust in God. It shows our trust saying, God, I don't need to try to accomplish it all on my own. I don't need to try to add more to my life because I can actually trust you with my life and what's going to come out of my life rather than my own accomplishments and achievements. How many of us are like driven as wage slaves where we're like, I need more money. We've created a standard of living that's actually put us in bondage because we need to make enough money to live this certain level of luxury so that our kids and our wives and Our families and us have all the great things that we wish that we had. How many of us are driven by this like relentless pursuit of achievement? My grades got to be this. I got to get promoted. I got to get raised. People need to think this of me. I need to be viewed this way. I need to do all this. I need to feel good about myself in this way. And we add more and more and more. And I think the God of the Sabbath would say this. He's like, sometimes what's best for you is a little bit less. Less is really healthy. Think about the garden narrative at the start of Genesis. Here you see these people created to live in this garden in relationship with God. 
And I'd like to think that that would be enough for most of us. But I also imagine that I would mess this up too. And what's the enticement there? They have so much. They have almost everything. And the tempter says, there's something more you could have. You could get a little bit more of what this world has to offer. A little bit more knowledge, a little bit more fruit, a little bit more whatever. And they give into that and they reject trust in God who says, I've got you. I've got enough. I know what you need. I can take care of you. You can rest and trust that things are going to work out. You can find your identity in me. And I had this realization again in this class. I was like, man, like, I'm totally just running ragged, exploiting myself, putting myself into a certain type of bondage, just feeling the need to drive and do more and more. At that point, we only had one child and she was like one year old. And I just realized, so read these commandments, God's saying, don't let your daughters, your sons, your kids, those around you be driven like this. I realized the more I exploit myself, the more I'm creating a pattern of exploitation for my family to drive themselves into. Many of us are in bondage to our own drive for achievement and money and all that. Many of us are in bondage because of like debt, what we owe the world. Whatever it is, we're driven by this desire to have more, to have what the world has. And I think God would say, the world will know you as people who are content with a little bit less. Less is often more. So Sabbath honors God, Sabbath trusts God. And here's the third thing I think it's pretty important. We call them the 10 commandments, but really I think it should be the 11 commandments because it starts out with this phrase that I think is an overarching commandment that kind of umbrellas the whole thing. And at the start of the account in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus 20, where we see the two accounts of the 10 commandments, word for word, the same expression comes out. Even in the original language, it's word for word the same. I'd love to read this to you. God starts, before he lays out the Decalogue, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's always this reminder, I've set you free. If you've been in the church for a while, you've maybe heard this word, salvation, which usually just means like a moment when someone has prayed a certain prayer or like was at camp and had this experience where they're like, I'm gonna be on team Jesus and I'm gonna follow God. And that's very significant and important. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a really robust understanding of what the word salvation means. In the original language in the Bible, what salvation really means is deliverance. So when God sets the Israelite nation free from bondage and slavery in, in the book of Exodus from Egypt, the word there is salvation. He has delivered them. And they so often look back, if you've read the narrative, they look back and they're like, we wanna go back to Egypt, we wanna go back to her. There's something about us that just, as humans, we wanna be enslaved to things and we wanna be in bondage. And here's this God who says, I wanna set you free. And he reminds me he brought them out of slavery, but he starts off by saying, I am the Lord your God. I think this is the commandment that like kind of blankets all the commandments that are about to come. He's saying, I am the God, the master, the ruler, to whom you can submit your life, whom you can surrender your life, and most importantly, who you can trust with your life. I am the one who created you to bear my image and reflection to the world around you. I am the one who wants to rest you because I care about you. I am the only one in whom you can find true identity and satisfaction. You can look back to Egypt. You can chase after all the things. You can cling to more. But trust me that my less is more than you could ever imagine. And if we would really embrace this idea 
of living in a way that says God is our Lord and we submit, we surrender, and we follow his commands because we can trust him and honor him. I think at that point, what Sabbath actually does is it reflects God, is it gives us the opportunity in an anxiety-filled, in a driven world, in a stress-filled world, in a painful world, in a world that just has so much and it's complicated and so much is pouring down on us. We could have this radical like symbol and reflection of who God is to the world by being people who actually engage in his rest. And not only in this life, but one of the beautiful things about Sabbath rest is it actually paints a picture for the true promise that we cling to. If we really believe that God is our Lord and we trust that one day he's gonna come back and enter us into eternal Sabbath rest, practicing that and in enacting that right now in this world, in such a busy, crazy world, is probably one of the most powerful ways that we can show the world this is how good the Lord our God is, the one that delivered us, the one that brought us salvation out of the slavery, out of the bondage to the things of this world. Again, I don't have some big treatment of like, here's what you need to go do this week or this month and whatever, but I'd love to invite you to dig into these passages this week and, and just say, maybe it's with your community group or with others or by yourself, and say, God, what are those unsurrendered areas in my life where I could invite greater rest? where I could trust you, honor you, and reflect you better in embracing this rest that you created for me. It's a gift that God has given us, not because he needs it, but because he says we needed it. And the last thing that I said I was gonna come back to, we see that Sabbath honors God. Remember God said, this is going to be a way that you can celebrate me for generations to come. We honor God by celebrating this gift of Sabbath that he's given us. We, we trust God through Sabbath. Remember God says that this is gonna be a sign between you and me for you to remember the trust you can have in me, the one that brought you out of slavery for generations to come. And again, God says it's gonna be a sign of his covenant with us forever. And what a great way to reflect God to those around us in our faith community and outside our faith community by leaning into that thing that's a sign forever of our covenant and our relationship with him. Thanks so much for having me this week.